All right, well, today is the fifth and final chapter of our series beginning, and we're talking about this. I'm not going to review a whole lot today, but here's what we're basically saying. At some point along the way, all of us find ourselves at a beginning or at a new beginning or where we're starting over, or maybe even just maybe we're beginning to connect with God for the first time ever or for the first time in a long time. And so because of that, we're looking to the stories of the beginning of human interaction and connection with God, the beginning of human history to find out what God expects from us at the beginning and from the beginning and at a new beginning. And so today we're going to jump right into the story of a young man named Joseph. And there's one question that I would love to keep in the back of all of our minds as we read this story. What would you do if you woke up every day absolutely confident that God was with you? What would you do? What would I do if we woke up every single day confident that God was with you and with me? And so that's the story, the question we're going to keep in the back of our minds as we read, as we jump in in Genesis chapter 37. And that's a question that we all need to keep in mind because God is with you and because God is with me and because we should actually wake up every morning absolutely confident of that truth. And we're going to find out some things today that Joseph did because he was that confident that God was with him. In Genesis 37, we pick up this. It says this, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed. Jacob was the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. This is the third generation. Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives, and he brought a bad report about them to their father. So, J so Joseph is a little bit of a tattletale. We don't know what the bad report is, but we know he went back to his father and was like, hey, these guys, they're not doing what they should do. They're not doing right. They're, dad, they're, dad, they're not doing what they, should, what they ought to be doing. So it causes, we don't know what the bad report is, but it definitely sparked some bad feelings between the brothers. Now, Israel, we're told this, Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons. You got to love that. Like as the brothers, it's one thing to like feel this, but God was like, you know what? We're going to put this in scripture. We're going to make this really concrete. You don't have to wonder about it. This is in the Bible that dad loved Joseph more than you. Okay. Now Joseph, now Israel loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age and he made a long sleeved robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Then Joseph had a dream. Then Joseph had a dream. When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There we were binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf stood up and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And they said, are you really going to reign over us? His brothers asked him. Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of the, his dream and what he had said. This is Joseph not having a whole lot of self-awareness. Like, hey, I know my brothers don't particularly like me as is. Uh, I know they wish I was dead. I know they wish I didn't exist. But you know what? I'm going to tell them about this dream I had where they all bowed down to me. What a good idea. These are definitely the people I should share this dream with. The story goes on in verse 9. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. And they're going, oh my gosh, is this guy really going to tell us another dream? Okay, I had another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. He told his father and brothers and his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that, you have, that you've had, he said? Am I and your mother and your brothers really going to come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Here's a really quick little pause thing. Here's a really quick little pause. This is important for us to understand. 
you got to be careful who you share your God dreams with. Be careful about who you share your God dreams with. Some people, sometimes your dream will make people very angry. Sometimes your dream will make other people very jealous. Sometimes your dream will make other people very insecure. And their anger and jealousy and their, their insecurity can unfortunately come out in words and in actions and in ways that make you question the dream, question yourself, and maybe even question God. I, I remember when, when we first started actually talking to people out loud, about, about what we felt called to do when we came to Las Cruces and, and, and planted Movement Church, people that we love, people that we cared about. When we were talking about it as a someday maybe thing, people were really, really, really supportive and like, oh, wow, yeah, that seems like a great thing to do someday. And then when we started to talk about it as like, yeah, we're going in the next year and a half or like in two years from now, we're moving to Las Cruces and we're going to plant this church. I mean, automatically the conversation shifted and people that were supportive of someday maybe became really, really critical of this, of, of now this reality, this, this actual plan. I, had, I remember having four conversations with people that I really cared about and really kind of cared about their opinion, cared about their, their friendship, cared about their, their, their words and what they said and what they thought. And I had four different conversations that, that came out just so negative towards, towards this dream. And here's, here's what I heard in these four conversations. Number one, don't you care about what happens here? Because I was leaving a place, and I was leaving a place of ministry. Don't you care what happens at this church? You're going to leave us? You're going to leave us all behind? You're going to leave us to go do something else? How dare you? That was the first conversation. The second one, you're way too young to go plant a church. Okay, cool. And then the third one was, you're way too young to go plant a church in Las Cruces, which is a retirement community. Like, are you even thinking about, about all of this? Like, you're way too young. And I was like, cool. That kind of echoes the second one. And the fourth one was, are you really seriously thinking about going and planting a church as a senior pastor without kids? And I remember thinking, boy, that's four really negative conversations in a row. And I started after having four conversations like this to think, maybe we're actually in the wrong about this. Maybe even though we feel like we've heard from God, maybe we're actually just hearing pizza or Taco Bell at, at the wrong time of night. Or like maybe this isn't actually a God thing. Maybe, we're, maybe, like, maybe we've just totally messed this up. And at that point, I remember having two other conversations. One was with our network pastor. The first time we talked with our network pastor, Mike Dickinson, who's going to be in person live next week for our, as, our, as our guest speaker. But I remember talking to him and, 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 and kind of beginning to unpack what we were thinking, what we were hearing, and what we were feeling, and what, and what we were really truly believed God had called us to do. And I remember him, who had been a church planter, who had planted multiple churches, who has years and years of experience in ministry, and him, and him sitting across from us and saying, you know what? I really feel like God is in what, what you are saying. I really feel like God is in and God is behind what you are saying. I'll walk through it with you and we will figure this out every step of the way. And I remember for the, for the first time having someone really encourage that call, encourage that dream. And the second conversation was with my senior pastor that I worked with at the time, Dave Crispin. And I remember sitting down talking about this, this plan or this dream, this thing that was maybe two years out in the future. And I remember he, he took off his glasses and there was tears in his eyes. And, and I remember him saying, you know, I've been praying that someone would do what you're talking about for the last 10 years. Ever since my daughters moved to Las Cruces and experienced the difficulty in connecting with a church over there, that they loved Jesus but couldn't find it. He's like, I've been praying that someone would do that for 10 years. And it makes me so happy that someone who works for me and has a heart like mine is going to go do the very thing that I've been praying about. And here's, here's the thing. 
I, I'm, I'm not the pastor who's like, hey, you know, we, we don't need critical voices and we, and, and we don't listen to the haters. You know, they hate us because they ain't us. I'm, 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 not, I'm, not that, I'm not that pastor. We need critical thinking. We need critical feedback. We need people to point out that there's holes in our logic and sometimes holes in our thinking. Like, we actually do need that. But here's the thing. We also, in the face of a God call and a God dream, we need encouraging voices. We need inspiring voices. We need voices that come along and say, I'll be there with you. I'll be there with you. I'll be there with you. And here's the thing. In the, in the face of when, there, when there's human opposition and when there's a God dream, you follow God's dream and you ignore and you don't let the, the, the human voices hinder you. When you know God is with you, voices of opposition do not hinder you. When God says go and man says stop, you go and you don't stop for anything or for anyone. When God is in it and God is with you, the craziest dream is a better plan than the best, safest human thinking that you can come up with. When God is in it and God is with you, his yes matters more than the wisest person's no. When you're absolutely confident that God is with you, even if he's all you've got, he is all you need. Be careful about who you let into the, the, the little inner circle of the God dream. But when God is in it, even if no one else is with you, you run and you don't let the voices of human opposition hinder you. Story goes on in verse 12. It says this, his brothers had gone to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, your brothers, you know, are pasturing the flocks at Shechem. Get ready. I'm sending you to them. I'm ready, Joseph replied. Then Israel said to him, go and see how your brothers and the flocks are doing and bring word back to me. So he sent him from Hebron Valley and he went to Shechem. They saw him in the distance and before he had reached them, they plotted to kill him. This feels like a little bit of an overreaction. They plotted to kill him. They said to one another, oh, look, here comes that dream expert. So now, come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these pits. We can say that a vicious animal ate him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. When Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped off Joseph's robe, the robe of many colors that he had on. Now, this does, this does, this feels like a bit of an overreaction, doesn't it? That, like, 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 sure, your brother tattled on you. Sure, he's your dad's favorite son and you're jealous. But killing him for that? Like, how annoyed would you have had to be by, by your dad's favoritism and by, and by these dreams to actually want to have killed this person? This brings to mind one of, one of my favorite little Bible memes that I saw recently. We're going to put it up on the screen. This is Joseph's brothers stepping over all of the things that they should have done in between, like, I don't like what I'm feeling and let's kill our brother. Like, this, like... This, this is a fantastic meme, jumping over, talking to dad about his favoritism, maybe take his coat. This, this is one of the best memes that exists. This is what they did. They jumped from point A to point R really, really quickly, from point A to point murder really, 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 really fast. And here's the thing. They plotted this. It says they plotted this. They planned it. This wasn't like, oh man, jo Joseph got there. They got in an argument. One brother got kind of heated and he pushed him into a pit. And then they had to come up with a story to justify what had happened. This is the plan. This is 10 brothers standing around and they're going like, man, that brother of ours sure has ticked us off. Yeah, you know what we should do? We should murder him. We should murder him. We should push him into a pit and kill him until he's dead. And they're like, yeah, yeah, that seems like a really good idea. Let's do that. Hey, hey, Joseph, come on over here. We're so excited to see. I mean, this is the plan. This is what they decide together to do. This is a decision. And so here's what happens. Verse 24, they, they took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty without water, which, you know, wonderful. They threw him into a pit without water. They haven't killed him yet. Apparently, they're trying to make up their minds of how they're going to do that. 
They took him and threw him into the pit. The pit was empty without water. Then they sat down to eat a meal, which I don't know why. I just think that's really funny. Like, hey, we're going to kill our brother. We threw him in a pit, but right now we're kind of hungry, so we got to eat some Sammies. We got some, got to get some PB&Js, and we got to you know, have a conversation over lunch about what we're ultimately going to do to kill our brother. And when they looked up, there was a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were carrying aromatic gum, balsam, and resin going down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him. Oh, 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 we thought we were having a compassionate moment, Judah. Yeah, no, 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 we're really just thinking about ourselves. Um, let's not kill him. Let's do the basic equivalent of that. Let's sell him into slavery. Let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he's our brother, our own flesh. I imagine Joseph sitting in the bottom of the pit like, I just want to correct everybody. You already laid a hand on me. I'm literally laying in the bottom of a pit because you threw me here. You already laid some hands on me. And they're like, shut up. And so he's like, okay. So, so, so they, they say, let's not lay a hand on him. He's our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. So they sold him to the Midianites. And the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guards. Now in the ancient world, this is the end of Joseph's story. In the ancient world, this is the end of Joseph's story. Once Joseph is sold into slavery, there is no coming back from that. There is no future. There is only servitude and, and bondage and going from master to master to master and doing whatever you are told for the rest of your life. If you haven't read the story of Joseph before, you would assume and I would assume that this is the end for Joseph. People did not come back from being thrown in a pit and sold into slavery by their own family. But with God, what looks like the end is often just a new beginning. The story picks up in Genesis 39 and tells us this. Now Joseph had been taken to Egypt. An Egyptian named Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and the captain of the guards, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him there. The Lord, it says, was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man, serving in the household of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made everything he did successful, Joseph found favor with his master and became his personal attendant. Now, if you're Joseph, you're going, hey, God, if you're with me, how about you make me successful? How about you stop making everyone around me successful because of me? How about you make me successful because of me? How about if you're with me, you get me out of this slavery? How about if, you, if you're with me, you, you, like, you get me out of this mess? God's like, no, I'm with you, and you're going to work for Potiphar. Potiphar also put him in charge of his household and placed all that he owned under his authority. From the time that he put him in charge of his household and, all that, and of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house because of Joseph. The Lord's blessing was on all that he owned in his house and in his fields. He left all that he owned under Joseph's authority. He did not concern himself with anything except the food that he ate. So here's the, here's the first thing that we're going to learn about when God is with you. When God is with you, you bring your best even when life brings its worst. You bring your best, even when life brings its worst. When you're confident, like Joseph was, that God was with him, you can bring your best, even when life brings its worst. See, Joseph does not want to be in Egypt. Joseph does not want to be a slave or a servant. Joseph's dreams are literally that he will be in charge and other people will bow to him. This is the, op the exact opposite of everything that he's dreamed, everything that he feels like God placed in him as a dream. Joseph does not have this dream. Life has thrown this young 17-year-old Joseph an absolute haymaker. And Joseph is still bringing 
his best effort every single day. The reason everything was flourishing was because God was with him. And the reason everything was flourishing was because Joseph did not sulk and did not get angry at God and did not get angry at people and say, well, I'm not going to bring my best because I'm in a situation that I don't want to be in. Joseph was still bringing his best because even in slavery and even in servanthood, at the opposite end of everything that he's dreamed, God is still with him. And he is working as unto the Lord, as if as what we're told in the New Testament, he's working as unto the Lord, not as unto man, not as unto Potiphar. He's working for a heavenly boss. See, you can do that. When God is with you and you're leading and you're organizing virtual school that none of us plan to be doing this year, God is with you and you can bring your best. When God is with you and marriage isn't easy like you thought it would be, you can bring your best attitude. When God is with you and college isn't as easy for you as high school was, you can still bring your best effort. When God is with you and loneliness is overwhelming, you can still bring your best self to every situation that you come in. Your responsibility is to bring your best regardless of what's happening around you. When life is crumbling or when life is great, you can still bring your best. That's your responsibility. That's your calling. And when God is with you, his responsibility is to do something in response to your best. Whenever you bring your best, God's responsibility is to do something with your best. And for Joseph, it says that God prospered everything that Joseph touched because Joseph was still bringing his best and still bringing his giftedness and still bringing his talent and still bringing his best energy. And I can do that and you can do that every single day. Now, unfortunately for Joseph, his best and his success didn't lead to better things right away. It actually caused some trouble because um, his, his master or his, his boss's wife started to notice him and started to notice him in one of those ways that, uh, that your boss's wife or that, that a married woman should not be noticing a young, attractive, single Joseph. That, that, that there, there, there was an attraction there that shouldn't have been happening. And Joseph refused and 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 refused until it became embarrassingly clear that Joseph would not compromise himself and would not be with her in the way that she wanted to be with him and wanted him to be with her, that this would not happen. And instead of accepting that embarrassment for herself, she decided that since she was embarrassed, she was going to get even with Joseph. So Joseph's like the one good guy in the story. Joseph's the guy of integrity, the guy who refuses to compromise himself. And unfortunately, in a moment, that gets him in trouble. And so this woman accuses him of assaulting her, of coming after her, of coming on to her. And, and as, as so often happens, when, when a he said, she said moment happens, there's one person that has all the power and the prestige and the reputation, and one person who's really easy to cast aside and replace. And unfortunately, in this moment, Joseph is the man. He is right. He is in the right. But as far as everyone is concerned, he is replaceable, so he goes away. And in one of the ultimate instances of, inj of injustice that happens in the Bible, Joseph is arrested. And Joseph is placed in prison. And not just any prison, Joseph is placed in Pharaoh's prison. Joseph, Joseph is placed in the prison where people who have offended and people who have harmed the ruling class go. And you don't come out of there. Again, this is another end. But for God, what looks like the end is just a new beginning. And so what we're told is this, that in verse 21, we're told this, but the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him. He granted him favor with the prison warden. Now, if you're, if you're hearing this and you're going, I think if you know the prison warden at all, things have not gone with you. Obviously, God is not with you anymore. But I said, no, no, no. The Lord was still with him even 
in the prison. And God showed him kindness by giving him favor with the prison warden. The warden put all the prisoners who were in prison, in prison under Joseph's authority, and he was responsible for everything that was done there. The warden did not bother with anything under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him, and the Lord made everything that he did successful. Again, this is, this is almost comical. The, the way most of us would think, if you were on a first-name basis with the prison warden, if the prison warden is giving you responsibility as a prisoner, you're like, well, I'm like the best of the prisoners. Yay! This is not a good thing. This is not a good thing. There is nothing go on, going on in life that would make a person think that God is still with you. In fact, Joseph would probably be thinking at this point, hey, God, could you for once be with me and things actually go good? Or maybe he was thinking, hey, God, why don't you go be with someone else right now? Because every time you're with me, things get worse. I get sold into slavery. Now I'm in prison for doing the right thing. I'm in, in, in prison because I actually refuse to do the wrong thing. Like, God, could you go be with someone else right now? Or maybe if you've gone through something like this, there's almost this feeling of, hey, God, if this is what you being with me feels like and looks like, I'll trade you being with me for life being good to me. I, I, I like For just a little bit, I'd like to feel what it's like for life to be good to me. And if I can't have life be good to me and you be with me, like, let's just make that trade. And I just want to remind us of something. This is something that I feel like I've said so much and so, so much and said so over and over and over again this year. And I think it's something that is important every single day, but it's incredibly important for us to remember through this season that, we, that we've all gone through and that we are still going through. The conditions of life do not reflect the presence of God. The conditions of life do not and have not and will not ever reflect the presence of of God. See, life and God are not the same thing. I'm going to say that again because I feel like we need to remember that. Life and God are not the same thing. Life can be really good and life can be really bad. Life can be full of joy and life can be full of heartache. And sometimes life can be both and all of that at the same time. And you know this. I mean, you know this. There, there's moments in life where you're full of joy and full of heartbreak all at the same time. Time. Let me give you an example of this. For when both of our, our daughters were born, I mean, we, you have this moment where you're like, our daughters were born. We just brought a child into the world. This is amazing. This is phenomenal. This is the best thing that's ever happened. There's so much joy. But within a half an hour of each of our girls being born, they were admitted into the NICU. And so we have the joy of our children being born and the heartbreak of we can't hold them right now and we can't be with them at all, at all times. We can't snuggle with them and they've got IVs and they've got you know, things in their noses and they've got things that they're hooked up to and they're in these machines and we're going, is something wrong? Is something wrong? Is something wrong? You can have incredible joy and incredible heartache at the same time. And I just want to make sure we understand this, that like if you take your cues on God based on the goodness or the badness of life, you will always misinterpret God. God's faithfulness did not change from the, from the moment that our girls were born to the moment that they got put in the NICU. God was still faithful. God was still good. Life was up and down. Life was up and down, but, but God was still good every step of the way. God was faithful every step of the way. God had a plan every step of the way. God was with us every step of the way. And if you're taking your cues on God based on the goodness or the badness or the joy or the sorrow of life, you will always misinterpret God. Life can be amazing and God is better. Life can be terrible, and God is still good. You can get dumped, and God is still good. You can find yourself without work, and God is still good, and God is still with you. You can praise God, and you can trust God through the good things, and through the worst of times, and through the everyday blah, blah, blah. It's just kind of another day times. You can praise and trust God every step of the way. We do not determine how good God is based on the conditions 
of life, we determine the goodness of God based on how good God is and how good God has said he is and how faithful God says he is and how with us and how present in our lives God says he is. When I think about this, there's this song that Hillsong United put out and released a few years ago. It's called Highlands, the Song of Ascent. And, and these lyrics that, that, that are, are present in this song, I think are just so great, a reminder of who God is and the fact that life can look really bad and God can still be good. Here's the lyrics for that song. It says, so I will praise you on the mountain and I will praise you when the mountain's in my way. You're the summit where my feet are. So I will praise you in the valleys all the same. No less God within the shadows, no less faithful when the night leads me astray. You're the heaven where my heart is in the highlands and the heartache, all the same. See, life's conditions don't tell you how good God is. God is good. Life's conditions don't tell you how faithful God is. God is faithful. Life's conditions don't tell you how close God is. God is close. And Joseph never lost sight of that. And neither should you, and neither should I. So the story goes on. Uh, while Joseph is in prison, running the prison show, you know, having all the success that you'd hope to have in life, two of, two of Pharaoh's officials actually come to do some time in the prison. Apparently, Pharaoh, someone had tried to poison Pharaoh, and there was uncertainty about who, about who it was. And so while they're doing the investigation, they put both of these guys in jail. There was the baker. There was the cupbearer. Someone had tried to poison the Pharaoh. They were trying to figure out who it was. And these guys, while, they're, while they know Joseph, they both have dreams. One that, one that, and, they, and they can't understand what's happening. They're trying to figure it out. And Joseph correctly interprets their dreams that one of them would be found innocent and be restored to his previous position working in the royal, in the royal palace, and the other would be found guilty and would be hanged for his crimes. So, so this, this happens. This happens. One is found guilty and is hanged. The other is restored to his, to, his, uh, to his position. And as he's leaving the prison, Joseph says, hey, 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 when you get back to where you're from, remember me. Remember me. Don't forget what I did. Don't forget what I said. Don't forget what I did. Now, here's what happens. The guy totally forgot. Until a few years later when Pharaoh had a dream. Pharaoh had a disturbing dream that none of his wise men could figure out, that none of his uh, you know, magicians could figure out, that no one could figure out what it meant, but it disturbed Pharaoh. And when Pharaoh's disturbed, everyone's disturbed. And so after no one could figure out, after no one could figure out, after no one could figure out, this baker decides to be like, oh, hey, 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 hey. I actually remember there was this guy, I don't know if you, hopefully you don't really remember this. There was a time a while ago where you weren't too happy with me and you sent me to prison we're all, we're all, we've all moved past it, right, Pharaoh? We've all moved past it. There was this guy who helped interpret a dream that I had, and it came true. Maybe, just maybe, he's still there, and he could help interpret your dream. And so they go find Joseph, and they literally take him from the prison to the palace, from the dungeon to the throne room. And, they say, and, and Pharaoh says, here's the dream. Can you tell me what it means? And Joseph has this moment where he's like, hey, I just want to let you know. I can't tell you what it means which is the wrong thing to say. Like, like it's, it's the absolute wrong thing to say. But God can tell me what it means, and I'll tell you. And so he tells him what, what it means, that the, that the dream means there's going to be seven incredible good years of crops and harvest and crops and harvest and crops and harvest. And then there's going to be seven years of an incredible famine that will hit the whole area, and they need to be prepared. And God's given the dream so that they can be prepared for what is to come. And then Joseph, unasked for, without anyone asking him to do this, he tells Pharaoh an entire plan of how they should take things and how they should prepare for the seven years that are to come, how they can be prepared when no one else is prepared, and how this can actually make them a more prosperous nation and can make them a more prosperous nation in the world, that, how this could actually make them the most powerful nation in the world. No one asked for that. 
But at the end of this, Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph that he makes Joseph the second most powerful person in Egypt. Joseph becomes the second most powerful person in the most powerful nation in the world. Meaning Joseph has just become, like has just gone from running the prison to being the second most powerful person on the planet. Wow. This is a big deal. And so exactly what Joseph predicted happens. There's seven years of incredible, incredible harvest and incredible crops and incredible production throughout the land of Egypt. And then the famine hits seven years to the day. And, 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 and the famine, the only surprise was that it wasn't just the nation of Egypt. It was the whole region. It was the whole region. It was the whole what we know today as the Middle East. And so na- other nations come and they hear that Egypt has food. And people from all around the world are coming because they've heard that Egypt has food where no one else has food, that they have a surplus, that they were prepared somehow for this. And then one day, 10 brothers show up. 10 brothers show up from the land of Canaan. 10 dudes who look a little bit familiar to Joseph. And, and if you're in this moment, and they, and they bow down, they come to trade, they come to bring silver, and they come to bring gold, and they come to bring whatever they can bring to trade and take back grain so that their family can live. And in this moment, Joseph's dream is actually coming true. Hey, remember that dream about like, you know, my, 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 my sheaves of, of, of barley and, and, and yours, and, and, and you were all bowing down to mine? Yeah, this is happening. God fulfills the dream. And if you're, in, and if you're Joseph in this moment, I mean, what are you thinking in this moment? Finally, finally, this is my time for revenge. This is my time to make them feel everything that they made me feel. This is my moment where I get to let them know just how horrible they were. This is my moment to get justice. This is my moment to have them arrested and have them sold into slavery and have them thrown into prison and for them to feel everything that I felt. This is my moment. For, this, is, this is my opportunity to make them now, Joseph decides to have a little bit of fun with this. Joseph, Joseph, Joseph decided he wasn't going to make them pay, but he was going to have some fun for a while. He was going to mess with their minds a little bit. He was going to play, play some pranks, and he, didn't, and, he did, and he didn't let them know who he was. They assumed he was dead. They assumed he was somewhere else. They didn't know Joseph was, was alive. And so, so, so Joseph, with them not knowing who he is, has a little bit of fun. But then after having his fun, he decides to do what very few of us could do. In Genesis chapter 45, we're told this. Joseph then said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence, as as most of us would be. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one that you sold into Egypt. And now, now, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you. God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land for these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. And then he says this, therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. It was not you who sent me here, but God. Joseph realizes what he has realized all along. I don't understand it all. 
I wish it didn't have to mean so many moments of difficulty for me. I wish it didn't include a slave traders. I wish it didn't include a prison. I wish it didn't include being accused of sexual assault the way I was accused. I wish it didn't include any of that. But God was in this whole thing. He has never left my side, and he's been working even when I couldn't see it and when I didn't feel it and when, I, when it didn't make sense. He has never left my side, and he has been working. So yeah, you, you sent me here, but you didn't send me. God sent me. You were a tool, and I do mean that in a lot of different ways. You were a tool, but God had the plan. You were a tool, but God had the plan. Genesis 50, again, so, so after, after they bring their father to Egypt, their father eventually passes away, and the brothers begin to worry, and they're like, wait, 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 what if Joseph was just being cool while dad was alive so that dad didn't see us all fighting, but now he's going to come get, like, what if Joseph finally decides to take out on us all his anger and all that he must have felt. Like, what if, what if Joseph begins to, begins to do just the thing that we've always been afraid of? And so they send a message to Joseph, and they're like, hey, 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 uh, we just want to let you know, before Dad died, he told us, and he didn't tell you, uh, he told us that he wants you to forgive us because um, we just think, you know, you, you should do that. And, and, and Joseph, in response, is like, Joseph sees through this because Joseph is smart because they're really dumb. And, and Joseph sees through this. And Joseph says, look, I, I understand what you guys are trying to do, but here's what he says in Genesis 50, verse 19 and, 20, and 21. He says, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Am I in the place of God? Look, like, I understand that God has been with me every step of the way. I'm not going to jump into the place of God right now. God's been with me. I'm not going to try to play God. And then he says this, you planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. And he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. You planned evil against me. You planned evil against me. But God planned it for good. But God planned it for good. And here's the final thing. When you're confident that God is with you, you can forgive and move forward. You can forgive and move forward. You can forgive and move forward. You can forgive and move forward forward. See, it's, 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 it's what Joseph did. It's where confidence that God is with us and for us and working in us and around us should always lead us. So that when people have hurt us and we have the option to choose revenge or choose forgiveness, we choose forgiveness. And this does not diminish what they did. Forgiveness does not diminish what they did. In fact, in order to forgive, you actually have to call out what was done wrong. See, this is why some of you have had a difficult time forgiving because you keep saying, I'm fine, it's fine. It was no big deal, it was no big deal, it was no big deal, it was no big deal. And as long as you say it was no big deal, you can't really truly forgive and you can't really truly move forward. Forgiveness does not diminish what they did wrong. It actually amplifies it. It actually amplifies it. This is why Jesus' death on the cross doesn't diminish sin one bit. Our sin was so bad that someone had to die for forgiveness to become a reality. That's how bad sin was. Someone had to die for forgiveness to be available for you and available for me. Forgiveness does not diminish it. It amplifies what the wrong that was done. See, we forgive, and this is important, until we forgive, we're giving them too much credit and too much control, determining our life and our future. Determining our life and our future. If I can push you for a little bit, this is why some of you can't move forward yet. Because until you can forgive, they're living rent-free in your mind, and you cannot move forward while you're clinging to that hurt. This, this is where the thing that Joseph said is so powerful. You meant it for harm, 
God used it for good. You meant it for harm, God used it for good. It's a good thing they don't determine how things are used. It's a good thing they don't determine how things are used. It's a good thing they don't get determined how even their actions are used. God does. God determines how things are used. This is, this is actually what God did on the cross with Jesus. They meant the cross as the end. God used it as a new beginning. They meant the cross as punishment for Jesus' perceived wrong. God used it to pay the price for our wrong. They meant it as a message. You don't mess with the system. God sent a message that he was replacing an old broken system. See, you can forgive. You can forgive because God could forgive you what you had done against him and if God can do that, you can forgive them and what they've done wrong against you. And once you forgive, you can look forward confident that God will be with you and he will be with you as you begin again and as you look to the future. Now, you know what I love about this story? Do you want to know why we know that God was with Joseph? Because Joseph knew that God was with Joseph. And Joseph told that to other people. That the reason Moses was able to record this later was because it had been passed down from Joseph to his sons and to his nephews and to his brothers and their, and their descendants and their generation, generation after generation after generation. It was told that Joseph knew God was with him. There's no, there's no narrator in this story with a third-party perspective going, well, I just know everything and I know that at this moment, Joseph knew God was with him. No, Joseph knew that God was with him. And because Joseph knew every step of the way that God was with him when moments looked really good, when moments looked really bad, when life gave him the absolute best, when life gave him the absolute worst, when God presented him with opportunities that very few people had, and when God presented him with opportunities that no one ever wished for, Joseph knew that God was with him. He was confident that God was with him. And that allowed him to forgive when it, was, when it would have been easier to get vengeance that allowed him to bring his best every moment of every day, that allowed him to know that God was, could still be with him and even when life looked absolutely horrible. It gave him incredible confidence that God was with him. And you can have that confidence. You can have that confidence. And I can have that confidence. We can live every single day confident that God is with us. And there's only one requirement to make that a reality. You trust what Jesus did for you to create and sustain your connection with your heavenly father. That Jesus Christ paid the price on the cross for your sin and for my sin, a price that you couldn't pay because if you went to pay it with your life, it would be called justice. It would not have established a relationship or a connection. It would have been justice. He paid a price for you that you could not pay so that a relationship could be restored, so that your sins could be forgiven. You trust that Jesus paid the price for your sins with his death on the cross, and you trust that Jesus rose from the dead and so that you can experience new life and a new start and a new beginning and walk whole, connected with your heavenly Father and confident that your heavenly Father is with you. Because of Jesus, you can have absolute confidence that God is with you. And because of Jesus, you can live every day in response to that truth. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you that you are with us. Thank you that we can have absolute confidence in that because of Jesus, because of what he did on the cross, because of what he did when he raised from the dead, that we can have absolute confidence that you are with us. So God, help us to be filled with confidence that you are with us and allow that to make the difference in everything that we do and everything that we say and everything that we are in response to you and in response to the world that you've placed us in. Help us to do this, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen.